possibly got to do with us? How is this relevant here in Scotland 2,000 years later? And thinking about all the churches in Scotland as a whole, well, growing pains really aren't our problem, right? Shrinking pains are our problem here in Scotland, uh, shrinking really, really fast. So about 50 years ago, the statistic was about 50% of Scotland would have been in church on any particular Sunday morning. Um, 1984, 17%. 2016, 7%. And it's been going down since then. And that's just church attendance that's dropping like that. If you think about real, meaningful, life-changing faith, um, that's dropping away even faster. So, so we're really going to talk about growing pains. It seems like it's a kind of crazy topic. But in the middle of a wider picture of um, decline for much of the church in Scotland, Hope City is a little bit of an anomaly in that we're growing as a church. Um, we're not the only ones by any means. Like We're not trying to brag or anything like that. Um, but it is at least unusual in the bigger picture of the, the Scottish church and in the British church. Um, not blowing our trumpet. It's God that gives the growth. It's God that makes anything grow. Um, so we can't take any credit for that. Um, but nonetheless, it is true. And I guess I want to say I'm not feeling like we're so satisfied that we should sit back on our laurels and be pleased with ourselves and you know, take the foot off the gas because our focus is still on winning as many people as possible, on multiplying disciples. But, but it is at least exciting to recognize that we are seeing a measure of growth as a church, that there is some progress. And we're just um, three years old this Easter. Uh, last week was our, our um, happy birthday celebration. No cake because you can't share refreshments. No singing because you can't sing songs. No gatherings, you can't gather. But it was a sort of damp squib of a birthday like so many people have had in the last couple of years. But it was our birthday. Um, there is something worth celebrating. When we started three years ago, there were 36 adults committed to the work of Hope City, formally committed. Now we have 69 adults formally connected. So we've seen you know, that grow considerably, and there are lots more people who are with us from week to week as well. We've seen the team working at the center of this grow. Um, we've gone from a borrowed room in a church building to a hotel to um, this building, which some of us are back into, to screens, to this building and screens, to the most complicated setup in the world. And attendance is hard to figure out where we are right now, but it does look like we've even grown through this last difficult lockdown year. But here's the thing. Growth for us, just like for that first church, growth for us comes with growing pains. Growth brings with it growing pains. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this week's passage, and we're going to see what we can learn from it. Because the the last time we were in Acts, um, two weeks back, we saw the apostles arrested for teaching about Jesus. We saw them threatened and flogged, but ultimately they were released And uh, the next thing you know, they're right back at it. They're boldly speaking for Jesus, speaking about the events of that first Easter, uh, events which were still fresh memories for them. So as we turn the page into the next chapter after that, we see the impact, the message of hope, the message of new life is having. The, The number of disciples is growing. Uh, first, well, we knew there were hundreds, and then we heard there were thousands of new followers of Jesus, and now there are even more. And growth, like it so often does, growth brings with it growing pains. So we're going to hear the story. Sam's going to read for us this morning um, from Acts chapter 6, and we're at verses 1 to 7. So Sam's going to read Acts chapter 6 and verse 1 to 7. In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, 
The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Thanks so much, Sam. So healthy things grow. Uh, Healthy things grow. It's wired into living things. If you think about plants, people, you think about waistlines during lockdown, healthy things grow. Um, But healthy organizations grow as well. Uh, It's as if they too are kind of living things. Businesses, um, clubs, groups, churches, healthy things grow. But growth often brings with it some challenges. Now, a few chapters back, there were only 120 people in that first church. They could all just about squeeze into one room if they really needed to. Probably everyone knew everybody else. Um, They'd been going through a lot together, so they would have been close They'd all know everything that was going on in the life of that small church. They'd all feel like they were a part of it. If anyone was in need, well, everyone would know about it. No one could be missed or overlooked. Now, when there are 3,000, when there are 5,000, when the 5,000 grows even more, well, there's there's no room big enough to get them all into. There's no voice loud enough to speak to all of them at once. There's no way they can all be connected to everyone in the same way. Things are getting more complicated than they were. Uh, Even simple things get complicated when you try to do them at big scale. I mean, think about vaccination, right? There's a topical topic. Vaccinating 10 people is pretty easy. I reckon I could do it. You need a syringe, you stick it into their arms, and you squeeze a bit. Job done, right? 10's quite easy. Stab, stab, stab. We're done. Now, think about trying to vaccinate 60 million people. That is a totally different proposition. At the bottom, it's still simple. It's about stabbing people in the arm and press and squeeze, right? But there's so much more complexity involved in doing that, where millions of people can show up without producing Earth's longest traffic jam, uh, where it can do it without just taking forever. We should be very thankful for the work that's gone into taking something simple and scaling it up to absolutely gigantic, right? So... Often, growth just means the ways of doing things that were working when you were smaller, ways which are working just fine, well, they begin to break down. It's like the warning light comes on and things are just not working in the right way. And these breakdowns have the potential to take down whole organizations or at least to slow them right down or put a lid on their growth if things won't change, if organizations won't adapt. Think about the danger for this new church here, right? So this new church we're reading about in Acts has gotten to a size where there are tensions rising between the Greek-speaking and the Hebrew-speaking groups, these Hellenists and uh, Hebraic Jews, as they were described in the passage. 
Think how easily that could lead to division in the church, people turning against one another, hostility, an end to the amazing story we've been reading about of a church which loved one another so much, cared for one another so much that it was a unique community, attractive and kind of eye-opening to the world around. Now, healthy things grow. Growing pains are normal as things grow, but growth does demand change, and that's part of what we see here. Now, Tim Keller is a, a bigwig Christian leader in New York. He wrote about growth stages that a church goes through, highlighting the challenges that come with these different kind of steps in organizational kind of progression, highlighting the challenges. Uh, here's one example. He says, there's something lovely about a church where everyone knows everyone. Um, but because humans have a limited relational capacity, there's only so many people we can really be in touch with. There is a size where that's just no longer possible. It just becomes impossible. I think to some extent that's kind of right about where we are right now as a church. We're getting towards that boundary. And um, there, there is a sadness with that. There's a, there's a loss. It feels like we're losing something. We lose some of the intimacy, some of the connection that we had as a smaller group. Things that just used to work because everyone knew everyone and we could get away with it. Well, they will break down. It's easier to accidentally leave people out. You don't mean to. It's just things are bigger and it's harder to involve everyone. It's easy to feel like you're the outsider and everyone else is on the inside when nobody's on the inside anymore. It becomes impossible to keep up with everyone's news. You feel like, I wonder what's going on with so-and-so and you just don't know anymore because there are too many people around. Now, what do you do about something like that? What do you do about these problems of growth? Well, we have to change if we're going to grow further. Keller talks about, well, people can begin to find their connections in smaller groups or in serving teams instead of just in the main gathering. And that is exactly why we're so keen on encouraging you to join us for our evening small groups. Um, 5 p.m. on Zoom tonight, by the way, just in case you wondered. Or to join in serving somewhere in the church. It's a great way to get a little bit more connected and to find a smaller corner. Now, I'm not saying we have all of this sorted, just that we were aware of some of these problems coming our way and we tried to take some steps to mitigate them. But there's loads of room for improvement, lots of other places that things happen, lots of other growing pains coming up. And that, that is what we're seeing here with this first church when we look in the Bible. It looks like the old relational networks, the old informal processes, the old systems even, which depended on the apostles being able to get around everyone are breaking down. One group, the Greek-speaking contingent, are, are feeling like uh, they're excluded or they're overlooked. Now, one theory is these are people who were visiting in Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival when that first burst of church growth happened. And so lots of them don't have any base or connection in Jerusalem. Maybe that's what's going on. Another theory is there just weren't many um, relational connections between the two language groups that they regarded each other with a bit of suspicion and distance. And so they didn't know each other well enough to know there was another need. Now, but either way, things are breaking down. Uh, and I know I said a few weeks back that this did look a bit like racism because there's that linguistic or cultural issue here. The more I've thought about it this week, uh, the more I've looked at this, um, particularly looking at way the, the way the apostles respond to this issue, I don't think that could be the case because if this was racism was the issue here, right, what would you expect? You would expect the apostles to teach about how we're one new family in Christ, about how those boundaries have been broken down. You'd see a teaching response or a, a challenge to live out the truths of the gospel. But you don't see that. Instead, you get this practical response here. I think it's just the old systems not working at the new size. 
Now, before we look at their response, so we're going to look at the way they fixed this problem, I want us to notice a bunch of other routes out that they didn't take, right? Solutions that they didn't choose, because there are things to learn about ways out that they didn't take. First up, notice with me that care for the church family is an absolute non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable priority. Like, we rightly place emphasis on what's described in this passage, the, the ministry of the word, that is, serving the message of new life, which comes through the Easter story, working to see that advance and spread. We rightly prioritize that. It wouldn't be appropriate, the apostles say, for them to neglect that. They had a particular role to play as Jesus' specially selected witnesses to his life and especially to Easter. But the solution to this growing challenge of how to look after people, look after the needy within the church, wasn't just to give up, to decide... Well, yeah, it'd been nice, you know, to see that new community of care and love to flourish. And it was a shame, but we just can't manage it all. And something's got to go, right? The solution here isn't to decide. The only thing that matters is the events of the message, the ministry of the word. So care is just going to have to go. Care for the church family, this shows us, is a non-negotiable priority, something you can't let go of. Even though it does get harder as the church grows, the logistics of it become more complicated, even if it's challenged by diversity within the, with the church, there are definitely these two separate groups in view. So when you feel like, or when we as a church feel like we're tempted to make an either-or decision, we should either do this or do that. We can't manage both. Well, here, the right answer was no. It's a, it's a both-and decision. Now, that's not to say it's always both-and. There are priorities that the church gets tied up on that really aren't central, aren't essential. Things we can get... Um, kind of caught into and trapped in that we really don't need to keep going with. I'm not saying churches have to do everything, but it is clear from this passage there are some things that are absolute non-negotiables. And caring for the church family is one of those top-line non-negotiables, caring for one another. So that's one route they didn't take. They didn't say, well, this is too tricky. Let's stuff it so we can keep going with the message. Another door they didn't take, another which has something to show us. You could have solved this problem of growth or this problem of scale by choosing not to grow and not to have scale. You could say, you know, it's been nice to have one big happy family, but this megachurch thing is just not working. Let's cancel it. Right? Time has come for us to go our separate ways. Churches shouldn't grow beyond the size of relationships. That's wrong. That's bad. The apostles could have split the church 12 ways into smaller, simpler churches, which were perhaps more organic, where kind of relational responses to care issues could take care of everything, where they didn't have to overcome the challenge of scaling up. They could have just made it smaller, or they could have gone even further. They could have said, you know, this is really showing us that complexity is a bad thing in church. We need to not have complexity. Let's make everything super small. Let's go all house church all the time. Only groups where we can always manage everything inside a house, where we don't need anything else. But that's not their response. Now, it is true that smaller churches are simpler churches. Smaller churches have focus. They have stronger relational networks. Those are definitely true. They have strengths. But if you wanted to argue smaller churches are the only way, the only acceptable flavor, the only right route, well, this passage is a bit of a problem because that's not the way the cookie crumbles here. Right? Let me give you one more way the apostles could have gone about solving this problem. If the difficulty is a lack of connection between this Hellenist, this Greek-speaking group, and this Hebraic group, 
Well, the tension between them always just below the surface. Here's a really easy solution. Let's have a Hellenist church and a Hebraic church. Let's split along that nice, easy dividing line. Let's make everyone's lives easier. We can hang out with people we like and understand and get along with. We don't have to deal with those other difficult people. They could have just split the church along ethnic lines or cultural lines and solved this problem. But now, the the complexity and the difficulty of an integrated and diverse church with all the tensions and challenges that that brings, is something they choose over breaking the church down into kind of ethnic silos or cultural silos where people talk the same way or think the same way or sing the same way in our kind of modern context. Like Diversity is part of God's plan for the church. It's part of the beauty that he's put into the church, even though it's difficult, like, like when we don't sing the kind of songs you wish we would sing. Or we don't do things in just the way you wish we would do things. And when you feel that friction and that rub of doing things other people's way, well, remember, well, that is God's plan. That is his plan for the church, diversity, unity and diversity. And it's worth it because of the greater beauty and richness of the diverse church. So three paths through there they didn't take. Three kind of solutions it shows us are not good solutions. Right, we've seen that. There are multiple non-negotiable priorities. Care is a priority. You can't just let it go. It's not an optional extra. We've seen there's no fundamental problem with a larger church, even though it is more complex and it requires more structure. And we've seen that diversity is worth keeping, even though it's hard. Even though splitting might be smoother, might make life easier. Okay, three paths they didn't take. Let's look at what they did do. What can we learn from that? What does it show us? Well, people build heaps on this short story here. Uh, I want to take a moment just to explore some of that. If you've been around church for a while, you'll probably have heard of the title deacon, uh, a title we use lots in church as an office or a a role within the church. And it comes from um, the Greek word uh, diakonos, which means servant, agent, um, assistant. It's most often translated servant uh, when it's rendered in the New International Version in the New Testament. Now, it's specifically mentioned as a role within the church just a very, very few times in the Bible. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to find it, is the longest extended discussion. And that is focused on the qualities that you're looking for in somebody who would be um, a deacon. It doesn't really tell you much about what they actually do. As a result, lots of people look at this passage here and they're like, we need to know what deacons do because they're kicking around. This passage must tell us the answer to that. And um, they use this passage to define the role. And often that's understood of taking care of practical things so somebody else can take care of spiritual things. So in lots of churches, you might find you know, a deacon who has responsibility for the church building for the fabric of the building to free up other people to do kind of spiritual things like Bible teaching or pastoral care. Now, I want to give you two reasons not to draw those conclusions from this passage in particular, okay? Looking at this passage. Two reasons not to draw those conclusions. First, although that Greek word, diakonos, does show up here, it doesn't show up in a way that confidently helps us figure out anything about the role. In fact, the the, the word is used to describe both of the things going on here, both of the priorities. Um, Take a look at this. It's used to describe the work of serving tables. Weight on tables is diakonine uh, trapezais. And it's used to describe the ministry of the word, diakonia, to logo. See the same root, diakonine, diakonia? That's the same kind of verb, to deacon or to serve, is used in both cases. So if you want to figure out what serving means from this passage, it means all of it from this passage. 
Um, You'll find elsewhere in the Bible that the Apostle Paul describes his role very often as that of diaconus, serving. Um, It's not clear that these seven people appointed here were deacons. They're not labeled deacons here. That's not what this passage is giving us. Unfortunately, if you wanted a manual, unfortunately. Second, um, if this passage does define the role of deacon... And if that role of deacon is going to be limited to practical things as opposed to spiritual things, which is a nice, neat way of breaking down the work, to be fair, right? But if it is, then it is decidedly odd to read on in the Bible and look at what follows. Because you know what happens after this reorg? Uh, The first thing that happens after this reorg to these seven people is we get extended stories about two of them. We get the story of Stephen and then the story of Philip, two of these seven appointed here. And do you know what they do? Decidedly spiritual things. They're busy working miracles, debating theology, preaching about Jesus, casting out demons. That is hardly fixing the roof. If you want to say deacons just fix the roof, like what are these two doing? Here's the thing. We would like the Bible to give us a nice, detailed, operational manual for the church. We would like to have a set of plans and rules set out, but we don't get that sort of franchise manual. You know, like if you're starting a chain restaurant, a Burger King or something, they give you a franchise manual, a giant book that tells you just how to do everything. You just flip to the right page and work your way down. That's, that's not what the Bible gives us about how to organize and run the church. Now, there are things that are clear, things that are consistent across all these early churches. But there's a lot of variety as well. If God had meant to give us that manual, well, he would have done it. But he hasn't done that. Now, deacons are never specifically mentioned in this first Jerusalem church. Uh, If you read on, you'll read about um, elders. Uh, in the church who are receiving financial aid from other churches in chapter 11. Uh, You'll read about elders in the church um, who are making decisions uh, about the theological um, practice of the church going forwards in Acts chapter 15. Now, perhaps these elders are the survivors of these seven appointed in Acts chapter 6. Maybe that's true. You even get other leaders mentioned specifically, but you never hear about deacons in the Jerusalem church. You got Silas. Uh, men who were leaders among the believers in Acts chapter 15. So I think, I think we're probably overshooting if we want to draw many conclusions about what is the right biblical pattern or what is the wrong biblical organizational pattern from these verses. I think we're building too much on too little to draw those conclusions. Now we see the church has to hold on to multiple priorities, priorities which are often competing. We see it's okay to grapple with the difficulties of growth, with growing pains, not just to avoid them. And we see the apostles, when they're beyond what they can manage, what they do is they enlarge the circle and bring more people into leadership. And we'll see these new leaders grow way beyond just serving at tables. I guess most importantly, we should see that this reorg, this expansion of leadership, what it does is it enables the church to break through the growing barrier, to overcome these growing pains. Here's where our reading ended. The word of God spread. So the word of God spread as a result because of these changes. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly or multiplied greatly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's the religious elite from the Jewish establishment are joining this church. Well, okay. Gone on for a long time already. So what? What does this mean for us at Hope City two millennia later? I do want to say a little bit about this. First, I guess I want to say, if you are feeling growing pains here at Hope City, they're real. We are experiencing some growing pains. If you've been around a while and you feel the sadness of not knowing everyone and not knowing everything that's going on, well, that's 
that's real? Do you even feel like you used to be on the inside and now you're on the outside? Or if you're new, does everyone seem nice enough, but you just can't find a way to get connected? Can't find your place? Perhaps you're feeling the pain of bits of church life that just aren't working as well as they used to at our larger scale. Or you're running into things that you feel like, come on, have we not solved this problem already? Are we not grown up enough to have got over this one? But still it's clunky and broken here. Well, that that is all real. So I guess I want to acknowledge that we are experiencing growing pains. I think perhaps I have felt these most acutely uh, in, in these last few years. I'm not looking for pity, but I really see and feel all the bits that are broken or just not working well as we grow. And, and I've definitely had it rubbed in hard that I can't manage to spin all the plates that I feel like we ought to be spinning. Uh, it feels very X6 to me. Now, the solution this passage tells us is not to put on the brakes Not to give up on some of our core priorities. Not to split up the party and go separate ways. What we need to do is we need to do a bit of growing up. We need to have grace with one another while we grow up, while we go through this process. We need to work our way through it. But we will come through these growing pains. Now, we are about three years old as a church. Like I said at the beginning, it's kind of crazy. It seems a bit young to be talking about growing up. Um, But a about a year ago, we started putting in some additional structure to the church. We added um, what we called uh, directors. Uh, it's not a Bible word, but it's structure that's really helped us keep our focus on both and across different priorities rather than having to choose either or between these priorities when our capacity is limited. It takes us beyond what just our I and the elders could manage to keep on top of it, begins to make it possible for us to focus on both our gatherings and our mission at the same time, to say both to helping people belong and caring for the church family and helping people grow more like Jesus and become a bigger disciple. It means we can say both and rather than either or. And then a few months back, we spoke about our next plans to add team leaders under our directors to continue to share out this load and invite more of us to find a place of leading and directing and ownership inside the church. Now, that is moving forward behind the scenes. We're going to start to put our first team leaders in place um, soon. It's just taken us a while to make sure we've got our ducks in a row ready to do it well rather than fumble and need to move backwards. Now, I am sure we raise some eyebrows when we use these sort of terms that are, what do you, they might feel like we're importing things from business, right? Or from professional stuff into something that is no way a business. But I think today's passage really is an invitation to organize, to keep the mission advancing, to draw more people into leading and serving as a church. And perhaps there's an encouragement for us too in the story of these seven and what they go on to do. As we invite people to take on what might seem to be small tasks, practical things, limited steps, perhaps, perhaps stepping into that could be the path to bigger things like it was for Stephen and Philip, as we read here. Hopefully, we won't see you dead afterwards. Um, it'd be nice if it didn't work out that way, uh, but it could definitely lead to other things too. Now, I'm conscious I've gone on. Um, maybe you feel like, yes, I would like to take a step forward this morning. Or maybe you look around and you feel like you see somebody else who should be invited to step up. Well, why not uh, drop me a note? Uh, I'm Matt at HopeCityEdinburgh.org. Nice and easy to remember. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, And if you feel like there's somewhere you'd like to step forward, someone else you think should step forward, we'd like to bring more people into leading at Hope City. But maybe you're just right at the edge of Hope City, right? Maybe you're just getting started here. 
still exploring and you're intrigued to learn a bit more? Who are these people who talk businessy talk? How do they organize themselves after all? We've got something called New Here just for you. Uh, no commitment, 45 minutes, uh, a tour of what we're about and how things work. A chance to ask your questions. Just sign up at hopecdedinburgh.org slash events. And maybe you just need reassurance, though, that what you're feeling really is just growing pains, not like a sinking ship that's on fire. In that case, celebrate that we've grown, right? Even if it does hurt sometimes, even if some things are starting to break down, celebrate that we've grown. And can I ask for patience and grace while we try and put things in order? We do know everything is not working perfectly at the moment, and we really are hoping to grow past these pains. Now, let's pray together briefly, and then we're going to turn ourselves back to praise. We're going to remember and celebrate uh, what God has done here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the um, advance of that first church. Thank you for the way that the church grew, that your kingdom was coming, uh, that more and more people were finding out about this new life that is possible through Jesus and through the events of Easter. Thank you that we too have seen a measure of growth here and uh, that we've seen um, people added to your kingdom, uh, that we've seen people brought back into the life of your church. And Lord God, we pray um, that as we grow, like that first church, we make wise decisions, that you would help us to respond to growing pains, uh, not by ignoring them, uh, not by taking wrong choices about avoiding them or um, skipping them, um, but by being thoughtful and wise about how to respond. Please grant us the right people to bring into um, leading, and please grant that stepping into leadership would be a, a doorway to a path forward in serving you. Lord, we pray through all of this, the outcome might be that you uh, will be uh, adding to our number regularly like you were to that first church. The outcome will be that the word will be advancing. Your message about Jesus will be advancing and that more and more people will come and experience this new life. We pray this for your glory. Amen. Now we're going to turn back to praise. We're going to remember every blessing comes to us from God. And perhaps we can see the way we've been blessed with growth as a church and return that to God as praise this morning. Or perhaps you've got other blessings in your life that you want to bring back to God as praise. Well, let's sing or um, hum together now. <laughs> 